Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally, with a global perspective, and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains, transit, adventures, life hacks, and today... An interjection from producer Brock, sharing that this week's show was cut a bit short by equipment that didn't record. Um, We do have Chris Smith, uh, at least five-time guest, if not more, and now candidate for election to Metro, a regional government coordinating services that affect three counties in the Portland metro area. For District 5, which includes a lot of Portland. And as anyone who has heard him on the show knows, there is no man better for the job. So we're going to pick up with their conversation where they talk about why the city of Portland should be doing a victory lap. So first, before anything, we should do a victory lap. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So as we're recording here, it's, uh, it's March 2nd, and... Uh, the 1st of March was the effective date for Portland's new bicycle parking code, which is a project I've worked hard on for the last few years. So any building permit application that comes across the counter starting today uh, will have to comply with the new standards. And that means uh, more bike parking and bike parking that's easier to use. Uh, so particularly in uh, commercial and employment situations, the ratios go way up because they hadn't been adjusted since the 1990s. Uh, in residential, we had done some catch-up on the ratios, but a few of those are being boosted as well. But the other big change is that standards are improved so they're more usable. So, for example, there are a lot of folks who can't lift a bike onto a vertical wall rack. And once we had increased the parking ratios for residential construction, um, immediately everybody went to using vertical wall racks because that's the most space-efficient way to, oh, yeah. to cram bicycles in. Um, so now the new requirements will require... Um, I may get the percentage wrong off the top of my head, but 20% at least has to be in horizontal racks. Oh, cool. And a certain and 10% in larger bike rooms will have to be oversized for bock feeps and cargo bikes. Oh, right on. So we've got places to put the kinds of bikes that yeah. Portlanders actually ride. Can't put a bike bock feeps in a in a vertical position very easily. That would be hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have I have an electric cargo bike, and getting that thing up vertically is a challenge. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do you use the uh, e-assist to like help it boost <laughs> onto the wall? <laughs> uh, we actually do allow racks that have some kind of mechanical or electrical assist to lift a rack up. So you oh, can do cool. you can do two story racks if they have that kind of yeah, yeah. assist mechanism. Um, so we're not against being space efficient. We just want to make sure it's usable by everybody. Right. Uh, and I think the other big change that people may notice. Uh, is that in the past we allowed uh, bike storage in the living unit and we did say you had to have a designated space, but we saw some pretty bizarre effects. So we would see hooks over beds or couches where obviously (laughs) you were never going to get a bicycle. And and the new code uh, says that uh, if you're going to do that, it has to be in an alcove or a storage area, not a living area. And this now applies to uh, all new buildings. uh, Right on. Portland from here on out. Is it just specifically new buildings or say I were to renovate an existing building? If you do a major renovation, and I think the dollar threshold is half a million dollars, okay, uh, then portions of the code would apply, and it kind of depends on how much you're renovating. But okay. some, some uh, I'll do my best to stay under the half a billion <laughs> mark then. <laughs> 
Sweet. That was a uh, That's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's a good day. Indeed. I'll I'll drink to that. Yes. Speaking of drinking, there's a place where you can go and drink or not drink. Uh, <laughs> but if you decide to, there's some pretty good options. And that place is The Beermongers on Southeast Division in 12th. As where always, you can have yourself a little victory drink. That's right. As always, thanks to the Beermongers, our generous beverage sponsors. Um, I am having the Wildland Blueberry Hibiscus this evening, and it's pretty great. Yeah. Because I forgot to have a lot of water today. <laughs> and this is, I like water, but I like this a lot too. <laughs> what I like about that is it's not overly strong. Like Wildland is good with like refreshing you get the flavor, but it's it's more on the subtle end. Yeah, definitely. And and on the other end of that spectrum is the Lionheart uh, dry kombucha, which I am having. And this is the raspberry harvest, which is very tart, and I am enjoying this very much. You know, sometimes you you want the subtlety. Sometimes you just want a good like sour pucker up. This is hitting it right now. Indeed. And uh, if you're not into the Lionheart or the hibiscus, well, there's this little thing called beer that the beer mongers <laughs> also carries. And uh, holding down the fort over here, Chris, what are you having? I am enjoying a uh, proper pilsner for migration uh, brewing, and it's quite refreshing. Excellent. Thanks, as always, to the beer mongers for supporting the show. And uh, they're coming up in our headlines a little bit later as oh, well. Yeah. They, they have a I'm forgetting the word for it, but I'll remember it by the time we talk about it again. <laughs> um, Chris, thank you so much for coming in today. Uh, you, you're you running for District 5 of Metro, and um, some of our Portland listeners may know, a lot of our Portland listeners may not know, and many of our outside of Portland listeners probably don't know, um, but... You know, for those who've not heard you on our show before, uh, give us a quick intro about yourself and what your um, role in Metro or your 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 aiming for a role. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Your uh, aspirations in Metro are. So I've been an activist uh, in Portland and the region for the last 20 years. Uh, a lot of that focused on transportation. I do things like sit on the board of Portland Streetcar. Um, I ran a transportation blog for a uh, better part of a decade. Uh, and I've been a lot of different transportation advisory committees, including some at Metro. Um, talking about Metro, uh, we're unique here in this region. Uh, we are the only place in the country with an elected regional government. Um, there are some places that have you know, like a council of mayors or something or an appointed uh, body, but we're the only place where we directly elect a regional government. Uh, so we can be proud of that. Uh, Metro has a unique set of duties. Uh, some people say it's everything that no one else wanted. Uh, but the responsibilities of Metro include doing uh, land use and transportation planning at the regional level. Uh, so the big picture plans for the region uh, are done at Metro, and those then have to be coordinated with the city and county plans. Uh, second big responsibility Metro has is solid waste. So all your garbage and recycling uh, goes through Metro in some way. Uh, Metro runs transfer stations around the region and also licenses private transfer stations all that trash winds up getting hauled uh, out to a landfill in eastern Oregon, uh, and Metro coordinates that. Uh, and the recycling programs are also coordinated to degree by uh, Metro, and the newest thing is composting. I was going to say, does that include composting and green waste? Uh, it does. Okay. Yes. Metro has uh, a, a big composting program. Uh, right, this, huh? 
the city also has one. There's, so there's some interlocking there, but you know, different jurisdictions go a little faster, but we're now looking at that at a regional scale again. Um, next area is exposition facilities. So if you're going to a conference at the convention center, you're going to a show at the Performing Arts Center downtown, you're going out to the expo center for, I don't know, the car show. I don't... <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Uh, those are all metro facilities, as is the zoo. All uh, right. And the newest responsibility and one that, that I'm interested in uh, and part of why I'm running is housing. So Metro has had a role in housing uh, since its inception. One of its duties under state law is to make sure that there's uh, a 20-year supply of land for housing development within the region. Uh, and they have to go through every, I think it's a five-year cycle, and go look at whether we have that and, if necessary, expand the urban growth boundary. Uh, also have to plan for a 20-year supply of industrial land. Uh, but more recently, Metro has gotten dragged into housing in a different way, which is financially. Uh, so you may recall that last year we had a big affordable housing bond. Uh, the voters passed a bond for uh, something on the order of $600 million to build affordable housing to begin to chip away uh, at our severe lack of affordable housing. Uh, this year, uh, services are on the table. So there's... Oh. Uh, a ballot measure that has just been referred by the Metro Council. It'll be on the same May ballot that I'll be on, May 19th. Everybody remember to vote. Um, and that will provide annually about $250 million for services around housing and homelessness. So it'll be everything from you know, rent assistance to uh, wraparound services to help somebody get off the street into housing um, and really fills a need that we haven't had a good funding source for. Um, but what that means is that Metro, which has traditionally had a relatively narrow role in housing around land supply, now has a much bigger role and is going to have to have the policy chops to administer that effectively. Uh, and that's part of the reason I'm running, because I, you know, those are the same issues that I've been working on in the Planning Commission in Portland, which is what I spent the last 10 years doing. I've been serving on the Planning Commission in Portland. Uh, and in that time, we've pretty much rewritten all of Portland's housing policies from you know the zoning for the, sort of the three tiers of housing, uh, mixed use, multifamily residential, and uh, most recently the uh, the so-called single family neighborhoods, where we have a program called residential infill that's at City Council right now. Mm -hmm. um, so had a chance to look at housing, things like inclusionary zoning, the idea that you know, if you build a big apartment building, a percentage of the units in that building should be affordable. Uh, that's become part of Portland's housing policy. So I, I can take the skills and knowledge I've accumulated there and take it to Metro to help them beef up their policy acumen around housing. So Metro's role in that versus Portland city's role in housing. Um, so it's interesting. Metro. Um, Does Metro just like sort of manage the money and go like, okay, this, you got to redesign this before we can pay for this or. Yes. And no. So okay. I mean, Anytime you have money that comes from the voters through uh, a ballot measure, uh -huh. there's a certain amount of fiduciary responsibility that the agency that's collecting it has. So you know, they will have to do auditing to make sure it's spent on the things that uh, it was said it was going to be spent on, et cetera. Uh, but in both cases, the, both the construction stuff for affordable housing and the services, it will basically be dispersed from Metro to existing governments and agencies that are doing that kind of work. So it's not like we're recreating the wheel from scratch. Uh -huh. We're going to use the existing providers, but there does have to be accountability. Uh, we do have to make sure it's spent efficiently. It's not wasted. Uh, and there's a lot of room to 
figure out what you know, the, the technical term is an intergovernmental agreement, which is how those things get worked out. Two governments sit down and figure out how they want to do something together. <laughs> okay. But those, those will all have to be negotiated. They'll have you know, terms and conditions. Uh, there'll be a lot of work to go into do that to basically be good stewards of the voters' money. Right on. So in the role that Metro has with the um, sort of increase in duty for housing, um, what is it not doing right now and what would what would you hope to accomplish within District 5? Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about where District 5 is, sure. uh, first of all. Uh, so it's kind of the northern cap of the region. It is ironically defined by freeways. Uh, as the, much of the U.S. is. <laughs> <laughs> on the west side, District 5 is everything above Highway 26 and the bottom of the I-405 loop downtown. So the PSU area is kind of the southern portion. And on the east side, it's everything north of I-84. And it goes from Cedar Mill in Beaverton uh, all, on the west side all the way out to northeast 122nd on the east side. So it's... You know, That's a pretty big swath of land. There. It's about... A quarter million people. Yeah, uh, most of them in Portland, about seven eight percent in uh, in Washington County and Beaverton. I love you, Cedar Mill, um, but mostly Portland. Right on. Right. Um, and then just in general, uh, Metro's area um, is so metro, three counties. It's the urbanized portions. Urbanized of the three portions, county area. Yeah. So Multnomah, Washington, Clackamas County. Uh, you know the, the parts of Washington County say that are farmland are not part of Metro, but the urbanized area where people live and work and, and you can go out like so i i going to school in forest grove i had it described to me you know as where the, the city ends and mm-hmm. the farm begins like right. it's not a line per se but you get out into these places where the boundary ends and yeah you can be like oh cool i'm in a suburb and then boom there's yeah, the farm sometimes right. you can literally see the land you know, the line there'll be you know, a brand new subdivision full of houses and then there's a field where people oh, are growing yeah. <laughs> it can be pretty stark sometimes yeah definitely so the other big reason that I'm I'm running for Metro is climate. Um, and I want to make sure that there are no closet climate deniers here in the room. <laughs> I'm, I'm checking Everybody under the table. Looks nervously. I I wanted I wanted to like I I was thinking about this. I wanted to say like some sort of clever retort to that, but there really isn't at this point. I think we've we've killed all the jokes as far as climate change. Uh, it's not that it's, funny anymore. It's, yeah, no, it's, it's not, not funny anymore. <laughs> climate yeah. change is Sorry, happening. Human beings are causing it. Yes. Uh, so yes, the next question is, much. who thinks we're doing a good job of dealing with it? As a uh, environmental studies major, I would have to go with no. Objectively, no. no. <laughs> right. um, so uh, we need to get serious about that. Yeah. The, you know, the International Panel on Climate Change says we have 10 years to radically decarbonize our economy to avoid the worst effects of climate change. I still have some hope we can do that. Oh, that's um, good. What would you say is the largest sector of greenhouse gases uh, in the region? Industrial? Um, not the way we're going to talk about it here. There, okay. there are different ways of slicing it. You can look at production versus consumption. But if you look at it in kind of um, sectors of like buildings versus energy generation, what do you think the largest greenhouse gas generator is? I cheated and read your Bike Portland article <laughs> earlier. <laughs> so we know it's so transportation. It's transportation, right. yeah. Transportation is 40% of uh, greenhouse gas generation is, in the region. I think actually 42 is the exact number. Okay. And is there sort of a a way to divide how much of that transportation is also the share of the greenhouse? Like 40%... Is transportation, and of that forty percent, how much is say like transit? How much is say like freight, and how much is say like 
those numbers exist. I don't okay. remember them off the top of my head. No, but, no, I um, would, but they do exist. They do exist. Okay, but you know, I'll tell you that, that now I got some homework. Well, the core of what you're talking about, though, is that single occupancy automobiles are the largest generator. That was kind of my soft that's, pitch. That's there. the piece yeah. we have to work on. Um, and I've been working in transportation for uh, you know, the last 20 years. I had a transportation blog. Um, I serve on. Uh, the board of Portland Streetcar. Uh, I've done neighborhood level transportation work, and I served on two key committees at Metro um, prior to my service on the Planning Commission. That would be TPAC, which is the Transportation Policy Alternatives Committee, which is kind of where the technocrats go to work out the details before they present them to the elected officials. And then I was on MPAC, which is the Metro Policy Advisory Committee, which is uh, the representative, the elected officials who represent. Um, cities and counties around the region. Um, so it's sort of planning commission for the region. So you would have like you know, the mayor of Hillsborough and the mayor of Portland and some county commissioners. Um, and their job was to kind of build a consensus around, around the region on a policy before it goes to the Metro council for adoption. Um, so I've seen how the sausage gets made at Metro. I understand how those <laughs> mechanisms work. I know how policy gets done. Uh, and there is a challenge in that you have to, uh, you know, you have to get a regional consensus to move something forward. And obviously, you know, people in Portland are somewhat politically different than people in Washington County or Clackamas County. So you have to kind of account for that. Uh, and sometimes that means you have to slow down. I think on climate, we have to speed up. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm running to try and hit the accelerator a little bit. I think one of the... I don't know if it's a false dichotomy so much, but a dichotomy that exists when it comes to talking about climate change is it often can be a urban versus rural kind of argument. And I mean, I'm very much an urban guy person, uh, but to me, the two can't really exist separate of each other. Um, What what benefits well what benefits the planet and what benefits the climate would benefit both the urban and the rural right and we see that in uh, things like the cap and trade legislation that's uh, has republicans striking at the legislature <laughs> right now um you know, clearly the policies that apply to downtown portland aren't necessarily going to work out in you know, rural counties right. in Oregon. But there's a range. So there's, you know, there's urban, there's suburban, the next ring is exurban, and then you get to the truly, truly rural. Um, you know, Metro is concerning itself with primarily the urban and suburban, mm-hmm. the things that are within the urban growth boundary. Exurban is kind of right at the edge there. Um, so you know, I, I'm not running for Metro because I want the farmers out in Eastern Oregon or the ranchers to do something different. Right. Uh, our greenhouse gases are coming from our big population from, centers and that's yeah, what we need from to work on. Major urban areas. Yeah. yeah. Right. Now, then you get the interesting effects that within Metro, there's kind of a hierarchy of planning, right? So you know, Portland has its own transportation system plan and land use plans. Metro has uh, the regional transportation plan and the urban growth boundary. Uh, those have to line up. So Portland can't have a policy that's diametrically opposed to what, say, Metro's regional transportation plan says. Um, but you do have some wild cards in there. So you, you also have state agencies like the Oregon Department of Transportation, ODOT, uh, which, while it you know, projects it wants to do in inside the urbanized area, 
have to wind up in Metro's regional transportation plan, they're not necessarily starting from the same policy motivations. So, for example, in Portland's most recent transportation system plan, we set up a priority that says we're going to prioritize walking first, then biking, then transit, uh, then shared vehicles and non-fossil fuel vehicles, and finally down at the bottom is the gas-belching single-occupancy vehicle. Right on. Right. Um, ODOT doesn't necessarily work to that plan, right? So they tend to put uh, a high value on making the freeways go fast. Right, right. Um, Let's throughput is sort of like their their, uh, main focus. And that is neither good for the climate nor good for the neighborhoods that those freeways go through, which is... For example, talk a little bit 82nd about the Avenue or, right. or uh, Powell Boulevard. Right, exactly. Not, um, two major not streets places. that are under their sort of management. So, um, so how much how much power or is power even the right word? Is there something that Metro would be able to do to say like, no, ODOT, you have to, you have to right. conform to these? So the challenge with ODOT and two other governments that we have to think about, the Port of Portland uh-huh. and TriMet, um, oh, yeah, we didn't talk about None Port of those Portland. have direct accountability to the voters of the region. They are all okay. governed by boards that are appointed by the governor and confirmed by the state senate. So a state senator in Southern Oregon has more say about who's on the TriMet board than you and I do. Oh, really? As voters. TriMet, right. which only serves the Portland which area. only serves the Portland area. Right. Huh. I'm going to I'm gonna give a shout out to Brock. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So one of my motivations for running for Metro is to beef up Metro's ability to negotiate uh, okay. with those bodies and get outcomes that are, are better for the voters in the region. I mean, you have a pretty diverse and long history in more of the grassroots side of things as well, talking about uh, no more freeways PDX and just sort of understanding those problems at their at their root cause. Right. So I've, I have a history of standing up to those agencies. Uh, you, know, you mentioned no more freeways, which is an organization uh, that I helped convene. I was the person who sent out the email that said, you yeah, know, who's going to get together to fight this disastrous project? Uh, and I still serve as part of the leadership of that group. I'm kind of the resident policy wonk. Um, but it, it highlights the unaccountability of the governing bodies. So right. you know, during the environmental assessment phase of the Rosequater project, uh, we helped the community generate more than 2,000 comments. 90% of those said either don't do the project or at least do a full environmental impact statement. A full environmental environmental impact statement. Um, And it appears that the Oregon Transportation Commission, which is the governing body for ODOT, is poised to go ahead without doing that. Right. So they recently, well, not recently, they originally said like, okay, fine, we'll do it. And then recently started walking that back. Right. There was some change in the leadership of the commission and the story started to change. Okay. And we'll see. There'll be a meeting later this month. It'll probably be either the 20th or the 21st here in Portland. So I hope a lot of your listeners might show up and express their displeasure uh, where that decision will get made. Say those dates and times again. Uh, we don't have a firm agenda yet, but oh. it looks like it will either be March 20th or March 21st, and it will be at the ODOT headquarters down on Flanders Street. Right on. Come on out. Bring your sidewalk chalk. <laughs> so another example where I've, I've stood up to one of those agencies uh, was, so you might remember, there's a proposal to put a propane terminal out on the Columbia River. Uh, a company called Pembina wanted to do that, uh, and you know the, the sales pitch was that propane was a clean fuel. 
Right. Uh, cleaner burning fuel. Right. Um, uh, you know, less greenhouse gases per yeah. amount of energy. You know, uh, that said, a lot of a lot of our fleet over at uh, the bus terminal is propane fueled. Uh-huh. So that's right. interesting. So it it yeah. has some advantages for use, yeah. but you have to go back to the source and realize that this stuff is coming out of the ground along with natural gas and heavy crude and other things that are have very high carbon impacts. So this is all from the exploitation of uh, the Alberta tar sands up in Canada. Uh, it wants to come through Portland because the you know the least steep way through the Rockies to get to the ocean is to go to come down the Columbia Gorge. So that's why we see all these different right. kind of fossil fuel proposals in the gorge is it's the energy efficient way to, to move the, the fossil fuel products here. Uh, so I led the opposition on the planning commission to that. And you know, when it started, the mayor was in favor because of you know, jobs and taxes. Right. Um, we had uh, a really robust discussion uh, about all the impacts on the planning commission. Uh, one of the things we did was attach a price the carbon coming through. So we said, if you want to move that carbon that's going to have climate impacts through Portland, we want you to pay a tax on that to put a price on that those carbon impacts. Uh, and while we didn't win an up or down vote to stop it at Planning Commission, uh, by the time we were finished, it was so toxic that the mayor <laughs> who had been for it wouldn't even put it on city council agenda. Right. So, mm-hmm. in effect, so originally... He was he was kind of saying like yeah we're gonna go ahead and do this this is right. this is gonna be good for the clean region. energy gonna, yeah clean good energy jobs property taxes right. what's not to like right? and then you sort of look under the hood and there's a lot of things not to like <laughs> yeah now, it comes at a higher cost right. it, it, for including one, the and, prospect of something called a uh, boiling liquid expanding vapor explosion if there were an accident that that <laughs> sounds. Horrible. It's a bleve. Yes, yeah. I have to learn what a bleve is. <laughs> oh, you know you're doing good when you've got that as an acronym. Oh my gosh, we're in the thick of it. Um, so, in regards to the seat on District Five, mm-hmm. uh, with the context behind that, what would you kind of tackle? How would you how would you go about it? What where are the gaps that aren't currently connecting? Uh, you know, you mentioned having stronger collaboration between other agencies that impact Portland but aren't necessarily a part of. I guess I wouldn't call them under under the reins of Portland. Um, what would that look like? Uh, so if, if you think about District 5, it is in many ways uh, a fossil fuel sacrifice zone. So if you look around uh, the district, you've got the levees out on the Columbia, which will be under more stress as Columbia River levels are as higher. ocean levels of, rise. And... Not so much ocean levels oh, okay. as more seasonal rain. So oh, the, okay. the big change we expect, climate change in this region, is that you know, instead of sort of the steady drizzle through the winter, we will get big storms. So you'll have oh, okay. peak water flows. They're going to put pressure on the levees. So we got to worry about, you know, you know if you, we all, I think, know the history of the Vanport flood. You know, oh, and for those. Something yes. like that could be <laughs> yeah. coming again. Okay. And for those that don't, uh, it was construction of uh, multicultural housing during World War II for the Kaiser shipyards and other general um, wartime efforts that... Um, had its levy break and was uh, the cause of a mass exodus and relocation of many citizens who were there previously back in the 1940s. Right. So, you know, that's a risk. We have the energy cluster out by Linton. So all those storage tanks, that's where the pipeline comes down from Seattle. Uh-huh. Um, so that's in the event of an earthquake, that's a bomb waiting to go off. Right. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned that the 
The district is defined by its freeways, so the, the two that form the southern border, and then I-5 that splits it in half. Um, you know, there's a cloud of benzene over the city because <laughs> of that. Uh, no even, kidding. Oh, yeah. Huh. yeah look at the air quality maps. They're scary. Uh. Um, and even if you look at a place like Cully, right, we had all those auto scrapyards and the mountain of tires Ooh. that lit on fire last yes. year, and people had to evacuate we their had, homes. Yes. Uh, right. That... That was something that that we did uh, with with the uh, buses. Was we helped evacuate some of that area. So there are lots of places to to clean up the impacts of fossil fuels uh, in the district and you know, contribute to ameliorating climate change, which is going to take basically reworking the way we move around. Uh, you know, we can't keep driving at sixty or seventy percent in single occupancy vehicles. We have to get more people on transit. Uh, we have to get more people on bikes, more people walking right. or telecommuting. We're going to need all the tools, and the policies have to push for that much more strongly than they have. So whereas at Rosequarter, ODOT would like to just expand the freeway, which just means more people drive. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't know, mean less traffic. It doesn't. Um, you know, they, they, they will try and tell you it improves climate change because that traffic will be free-flowing, so the greenhouse gases won't accumulate, but We've had Aaron Brown on the show. <laughs> we know in the long run, it just means people drive more and yeah. the yeah. gases are a function of how many people are driving, not how fast they're going. I mean, to offer sort of a comparison, if the Portland plan of walking, biking, transit, driving was a paint palette, uh, ODOT would be kind of a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the real answer is tools like congestion pricing, where we attach a price to the right to use the freeways uh, and then can... I hope capture that revenue, take it away from ODOT, right. and apply it to running transit. Right. That's what we're ultimately going to have to do. That's not a slam dunk. We may have to amend the Oregon Constitution to do it, but those are the kind of policies that we have to enact if we really want to make a difference with climate change. Right on. Well, it, I think it's interesting when it comes to uh, fuel um, and and trans or not transit, but transportation. Um, you know, we want to make transportation easier for everybody. Um, the unfortunate thing is when, when you and I say that we might have a pretty good <laughs> understanding of each other, what that means right. without having to spell that out. But then when somebody whose sort of main focus is throughput says that, you know, what they mean by making transportation easier for everybody is like, okay, well, we just need to get more cars on the road and, and get traffic moving more. And, and that's not necessarily the case, especially when it comes to climate change. Um, you're still using the old tools to solve new problems. I right. Think. And the only solution that's really going to work is to use the road capacity we have more efficiently. So that yeah. means putting 60 people in a bus instead of one person in a car or moving around on much smaller vehicles like bicycles that use the roadway space more efficiently. As, as we see at Rosequarter, you know, it's fabulously expensive to build more roads. You know, that's a billion dollars for essentially... 1.8 lane miles. Wow. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. Wow. And yeah. for comparison, I don't know what the number is these days. I'd love to see an updated study, but I think in 2010, the cost to build one lane of freeway was 52 million, which was also about the equivalent cost of all of the bike infrastructure in Portland at present. Right. Okay. And also, if this was renovating an existing building, they would have to include better bike parking <laughs> yes. that's over the half billion limit mm -hmm. <laughs> half um, million half oh half million half million 
So what? Well does... over that then. <laughs> <laughs> um, so between now and the election, what what does the road look like for you? What are your what are your plans? Uh, sort of benchmarks, and how can people find out more? Uh, so we're in uh, what I call endorsement season right now, which is that uh, a lot of uh, different organizations have endorsement interviews and, and questionnaires where they're trying to figure out which candidates' policies uh, fit their own policies. Uh, we have a kickoff event that will be over by the time this podcast airs, but that you were kind enough to talk about in your last episode. So yep. hopefully people heard that and uh, will come out uh, for our kickoff event. Uh, you can find out about our campaign at ChristopherMetro.com. Uh, it takes money to get our message out. So I hope people will, will dig into their pockets and contribute a little bit so that we can get our word out. Uh, we're doing a lot on social media. So, you know, like our Facebook page, we'd appreciate that. Right Excellent. On. And on May nineteenth, and Oregon, we have a vote by mail. So before May nineteenth, cast your ballot, please. Right on. And at this point, you would have already had to have been registered. Uh, actually, the the uh, filing deadline is March tenth. All right. From when we tape this is uh, still a few days away. Still a few days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Oregon makes it pretty easy to register. All, all things considered. And and to vote, really. Like, vote by mail. Yep. It's like the easiest thing to do. Fill out some circles, throw it in a throw it in a box. You yeah. Know? I mean, a, a U.S. Postal Service box. Yes, yeah, yes. Just Otherwise, box. it might not get to where <laughs> right. you think it's going. And just to clarify that March 10th date I gave you is for Candace to declare. I think that the deadline to register to vote is a little bit later than that. Oh, okay. I don't, don't have that date off the top of my head. That's okay. Um. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining, yeah. Chris. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. A pleasure to have you. I know I say that every time, but I feel like all of our guests are a pleasure to have on the show. <laughs> we wouldn't have a show without our guests right on. and our listeners. Um, but yeah. This is five times for me. So five times. Five times for District 5. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wink, wink. Years. We, should, we should give five. you a six-time oh. patch. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll keep that an inside joke for now. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Chris. <laughs> I'm, am I having, like, I'm trying to remember if I had deja vu or something. Did we, like, not get a record of one of your previous? Uh... That's happened to other guests, but not to me. Uh, okay, oh, okay, sweet. Okay. I was just like, <laughs> I, was like sh- I just want to make sure you weren't in the 6-2 time club. <laughs> 6.2. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, thank you for rolling with the punches. We we appreciate it. I love, I love, I love, I love don't, don't ever use that. Okay, Tim. Speaking of five-timers. Yeah. Uh, Tim's going to be joining us later this year as well. Oh, my gosh. He's he's coming to P-Town a little more. We'll give him another five-patch just to preempt the 55 times that he's eventually going to be on this show. You should, or would you mind hitting the call-to-action header? Oh, I don't mind at all. By the next time you hear us say the five-time club, this Sprocket podcast will actually have five-time patches we do have them oh we do (laughs) they're just not in my possession right now by the next time you hear this sound we'll have them in our possession aaron will have pulled them out of the box that he's packed them in and we'll have them on his person from now on end of announcement there's several people i owe patches to all right on our um calendar March 8th, the International Women's Day ride and food drive for the Bradley Engel House, which, by the way, I just realized is 
their offices aren't very far from where we we record. Oh, okay. Uh, benefiting survivors of domestic assault. And this ties also in with a March 8th Magpie ride. Both of these rides are put on by the Corvidae Bike Club, and uh, they invite you to join. March 18th, Oregon Field Guide Viewing Party at Evolution Fitness, 7 p.m. March 21st is our friend Ashley and the oh, Fernway yeah. Good Co. Group O Hike, version 2. Uh, Fernway is going to take you out into the woods, and I'm just going out on the limb here, but... They might have some tasty treats to eat while you're out there as well. <laughs> I would imagine so. Uh, May 9th, the Mohawk Valley Metric Century at Armitage Park in Eugene, Oregon. June 13th, the Hophead 100 in Independence, Oregon. August 15th, the Swift Summit 200-100 version 4 in Lebanon, Oregon. August 16th, the Swift Summit Northwest Hill Climb location unknown. The second Thursday of every month is the Joyful Riders Club in Minneapolis. And the first Friday of every month, the San Francisco Bike Party. The second Friday of every month, the Boston Bike Party. Also the second Friday of every month, the Indianapolis Bike Party. Also, also the second Friday of every month, the East Bay Bike Party. And the third Friday of every month is the San Jose Bike Party. The last Friday of every month is the Baltimore Bike Party. The first Saturday of every month is the Civil Unrest Ride right here in Portland, Oregon. And every second Sunday of every month in Portland, right here, we've mentioned them before just like a minute and a half ago, the Corvidae Bike Club Ride. (coughs) The last Sunday of every month is the Vintage and Classic Ride in Huntsville, Alabama. And upcoming Film by Bike tour dates are Columbus, Ohio, March 1st, Idaho Falls, Idaho, March 5th, Ithaca, New York, March 10th, Bend, Oregon, March 19th, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, March 22nd, Bend, Oregon, April 16th, Sacramento, California, May 6th, 18th, annual, May 14th through 17th at the Hollywood Theater in Portland, Oregon, Um, and Crested Butte, Colorado, June 25th, Alvdal, Norway, September 4th. I totally stole that one from you, Aaron, but I got excited because we're getting into (laughs) film by bike season. It's... It's going to be interesting. I I can't wait to see Guthrie at Film by Bike not stressed out. I've never been stressed out at Film by Bike. <laughs> well, <laughs> said, it, said no Guthrie ever. Right. I, I'm always, I just like, I mean, I'm stressed I mean, you because you enjoy I, doing it. I, but I it, love doing there's it. There's so much going on and yeah. you're in charge of so much over there. This will be the first year that at least I've known you where you can be a participant. Yeah. It, it's going to be great. I've been sort of a little bit of behind the scenes, um, just kind of, uh, you know, being available for sure. the new film manager. And it's been a really great process. I feel like the the transition has been great. Uh, the festival, uh, Melina is the gal who's in charge of that. She's doing, oh my gosh, she's doing such an amazing job. Um, right so it's going to be a great show. And yeah, like you're saying, I, I do look forward to showing up and uh, having having a yeah. good time there. Usually our interactions at Film by Bike are like, hey, Guthrie, hey, Aaron. I, I'd talk more, but I, I, yep. don't, I know, I know. This yeah, yeah, okay. it's all good. It's funny, like I used to invite friends to it. Like I still invite friends, but like I know to tell them now, like you might see me, but you, <laughs> you should probably not. just come for the films because <laughs> that's what's, that's what's going to be on the table for you. Um, talk to me the next weekend. <laughs> but thanks for coming. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now for what can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike? I 
The beer mongers. Oh, see, we told you they'd come back. Look at that. Secures the vote by craftbeer.com for the best in state, according to craftbeer.com. Wow. Uh, and their response was like so modest. It was so beer mongers. It was, yeah, it was very beer mongers. I think they said something to the effect of like, I think there needs to be eight more on this with us yeah or, or, or eight think, more places on this on this title with us yeah basically yeah. They, they were like this should be in really we'll take it but it should be an eight-way tie <laughs> that's what it was yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah. that's classic beer mongers they are totally they have they have some humility about them so next time you're there congratulate them have Indeed. yourself a tasty beer and yeah. or kombucha yay um from brock via willamette week uh, this is a bit of an older article, but I think it bears repeating because he sent it and I was like, no way, that happened. And then I <laughs> forgot that that had already happened. So it's probably time to oh, put it on. Oh, I thought this was a newish thing myself as well. Uh, the it. date says 2018, but oh, it maybe it got delayed by two years. <laughs> <laughs> I, but like I said, I, like, I, like I mentioned, I think we should cover it again because I totally forgot this was the thing. I have found myself at a drive through well, I found myself at a place that has a drive-through a time or two in between those two years, and so it's reignited my desire to participate in what this article says, which is it is now a violation of city code to for drive-through windows to refuse to serve people who pedal or walk to the window. Um, and I, like, I would love to put that to the test. How we we'll do a check-in two years later? How how oh, is it holding? My God! So last week we were talking about. Pedal Palooza rides and what? <gasps> the drive-through ride. ride. Yeah, what is a ride that you would like oh, to create? The drive-through ride. That would make ride. so many people upset, but also so, <laughs> so many people much happy. Fun. <laughs> yes. There was actually one last year during Pedal Palooza. Was there? There, there was. Okay. Oh, Did you great. hear how it went by chance? Oh, I I was on it. Hey. Oh, All right. I was actually the author of that code section. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if anyone was on the fence before, this should be this should be the thing. To sort of get them off the fence, right. but, but you should do the the real version because this this uh, was an afternoon ride. Okay, and the code only applies if the front door is closed. Uh, so we need to do one after midnight for all the establishments that have only the drive-through open, right? Uh, and, and test it out. So that you can do the late night drive-through ride. And that mm-hmm. that totally. might be more attractive to a lot of people, though. <laughs> So, so just even somewhat subtly, I think this just perfectly illustrates where you come at things with in regards to getting the mo chair to more walking and biking. So, for example, if I'm hungry and it's past midnight, uh, I would have to get into a car if I chose to go to a place that has the front door closed. You're doing policy that allows you to do it multiple ways. Right. And to be fair, I was less worried about your munchies than, say, uh, the, the parents of a kid with a fever mm-hmm. and the only pharmacy that's open is a drive-thru. Oh yeah. Yes. You shouldn't okay. Have to so it's go, both. Then. You shouldn't have to go get an Uber you know, to be able to pick up that prescription. Gotcha. I didn't even know it was for pharmacies that that was it's part of any it. business that uh, is, ex- is for some portion of their hours exclusively. Oh yeah. Excellent. Now, now I'm recalling this was like one of the big deals that, that helped get this uh, passed was ago. like, yeah. there was a, a pharmacy, a, that I can't remember its name. I'm not purpose. Sarah Gilbert story. But yes. Like 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Someone wanted to go pick up their meds and the person at the pharmacy said like, no, you can't do that. By oh, bike. wow. Yeah. 
I would agree with you. That's way more important than munchies. <laughs> <laughs> Not that munchies aren't important. That's okay. Guess what? We can have both. <laughs> well, thank you, Chris, uh, for helping out yes. with that. Hey, you know, we don't have the munchies. Yet. Yet. You know what we also don't have? What we don't have we have? Hey, we don't. have we don't have any mail today, but I'm playing that sounder anyway. <laughs> I tried to put the don't in before the mail. I liked that. Oh, yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if that made sense to anybody that, but me. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that's enough pontificating for the, for the week. <laughs> uh, once again, always appreciative to have Chris in the studio with yes. us. Um, such a, f- a pleasure to be here. Fantastic Portland human and uh, looking forward to what you're going to be up to this next couple of months. It's going to be exciting. All right. Uh, so as the uh, perhaps future seat holder, commissioner, is it? What's what's the official counselor. title? Counselor. So as the official, uh, perhaps soon to be counselor of Metro District 5, how should we read the exit credits? How about Walter Cronkite announcing election results? <laughs> I will give it my best shot. <laughs> I have to. Let me do some research here real quick. <laughs> What does Walter Cronkite sound like? I know who oh, Walter now you're Cronkite. Me feel old. No, no, no. <laughs> I know who he is. I, I know who he is. I just didn't grow up with TV <laughs> for much of my youth. So I was watching Mash this week. I could do it. That, that that's not Walter Cronkite. The most trusted man in news. Play me a sample. This is my last broadcast as the anchor man of the CBS Evening News. Okay. See. It's a moment for which I long have planned, but which nevertheless comes with some sadness for almost two decades after. All right. All apologies to the estate of Walter Cronkite. Here we go. The Sprocket Podcast is produced at X-Ray FM Studios thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to... 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurt Bird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to our sustaining donors, Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson. Cameron Lean, Richard Wodzinski, Tim Mooney. Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss. Todd Parker, Dan Gebhardt. Who's, Who's a, a time, time traveler? Dave knows. Chris Smith for Who's Metro, sitting right next to us. Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna. I'll be home soon. Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G. Yours truly, not Walter Cronkite. Aaron Green, author <laughs> of We Were Like Sons and founder of the Regrainery. Campsite, Mac Nurse David, Nathan Poulton. Rory in Michigan, Michael Flournoy. Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay, Tim Coleman. Harry Hugel, EJ Finneran, Brad Hipwell. Thomas Skato, Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom. Joyce Wilson, Brian Tam. Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing. David Moore. Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron, Chris Barron. Chris, Chris Baird. Baird, Sean Baird, Simon, Gregory Braithwaite, Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna, Matthew Brooks, Caw Caw, 
Marshall, Paula at Funitaki Cyclecraft, Philip M. Spartandale, no, no relation. relation, Mr. T, who never really left, Bike Initiative, Keweenaw, Sarah G, Adam D, go dig a hole, Beth Hammond, Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso, and Isaac M, as well as our newest donor, David C. Thank you all for your generous support, and for everyone, as all, your ears, and to all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Now, brush your teeth. And this is Walter, not Cronkite, signing out. Go to bed. And that's the way it is. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> experience oh yeah <laughs> that's the nicest any of our guests have ever put it <laughs> it is isn't it <laughs>